Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The official sponsor of the Can We Please Talk podcast is Fresh Roasted Coffee. It's a new year. Let's get you some great tasting coffee to help you start your day off right. Whether you're shopping for coffees, teas, syrups, mixes, mugs, gift cards, and more, when you get to checkout, enter in the promo code CANWEGET20 to get 20% off your first purchase of the delicious coffee that helps Nick and I get through these episodes. Head to our sponsors at FreshRoastedCoffee.com today. Hey, everybody. Welcome into an all-new episode of Can We Please Talk Podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. I'm proud to say I have not hidden any government documents. I'm Nick Severi. Oh, man. It's almost like you had an advanced copy of my script here, Nick. Uh, on the program today, our presidents, Nick, they can't keep their hands off classified documents. Nick and I, on the latest regarding the classified documents that were found at President Biden's office, at his home. We're going to get into all of it. Plus, later on in the program, author Jared Yates Sexton joins the pod. He has a new book out called The Midnight Kingdom, A History of Power, Paranoia, and the Coming Crisis. Boy, if we only had him on a little bit earlier, we pre-taped this interview, uh, we could have had a, a little bit of a talk of a coming crisis that may be happening here. Uh, he's also the host of the Muckrake Podcast, a fantastic political podcast. You go check it out. Wherever you get your pods, we discuss Jared's new book, the rise of extremism globally, plus the parallels of what happened in Brazil on January 8th to what happened here in the U.S. on January 6th. So, Jared, later on in the program, Nick, it's been a crazy week. Um, we're going to get into our first segment in a bit, but how's everything going so far uh, for you? You you sound a little Jordan flu game here, uh, a little bit under the weather there. What's going on your way? Yeah, just a, just a small cold. Um, not sure if I caught it from the kids or what have you, but. Um, yeah, just keep out with something. So I'm just powering through as I was telling Mike off the air, 
know, if you're seeing me, you know, going through a glass of orange juice, that usually means it's serious. So I'm just I'm just trying to rest, man. When you got you know two little kids at home, you're just trying to find any opportunity you can to get the additional rest. So, yeah, just took a little less time at work, but still powered through some coaching sessions and you know, all those good things. And, you know, thankfully, we're going to be able to, you know, get some get some time. So but that's me. But, Mike, you yeah, you've got some bigger things going ahead. Yeah, I do. I, I, I'm ju- I just coming back or well, going to be going on a trip uh, coming soon. You'll hear more about that uh, in the coming weeks. But um, I was going to tell you, um, it's always the kids. The kids always get you sick. They always get you sick. We've 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 talked about this before in the show. It's it's always them. When you're looking for a root cause of, of how you got sick, it's always the kids. For the people out there that have children, you'll know what we're talking about. And it always seems like it's a snowball. It's one after the other. And it's a continuous, you know, hachu, a sneeze, a here or there. Don't touch this. <laughs> Don't put that in your mouth. Uh, so it's it's hysterical having kids, man. Um, well, hope you feel better. Uh, I tell you who doesn't feel better right now. Let's get into our first segment right away, Nick, because this has been the talk. I've been getting text messages from people. You've been getting text messages from people as well. Some of them are conservative. Some of them are Republican. A few of them, maybe a few of them are in the MAGA category. And they've all been around, at least the text messages that we've gotten or emails we've gotten into the show have been around the New York Times article that came out last week. If you missed it, there's no way you could have missed it. It's about the president of the United States and how classified documents were found at his home. A second batch of documents were discovered in a separate location connected to current President Joe Biden. These were all classified documents that were found during his time as vice president. So breaking last week, after all of this, President Biden was obviously speaking with the Mexican president and uh, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, They were all doing a joint conference down in Mexico, and the president was asked about that. Uh, Then he comes back um, stateside here, and as the days go on, the DOJ assigns a special counsel to look into the classified documents that were found. Um, Don't take my word for it. Let's listen to the president of the United States talk about these classified documents being found in his home. Now, you're going to have to excuse the question because it comes from Fox News' is Peter Ducey. Take a listen to this. Classified material next to your Corvette. What were you thinking? Let me, uh, look, I'm going to get a chance to speak on all this, God willing, soon. But as I said earlier this week, people, and by the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage. Okay? So it's not like you're sitting out in the street. So the but anyway. in a locked garage. Yes, as well as my Corvette. As I said earlier this week, people know... I take classified documents and classified material seriously. I also said we're cooperating fully and completely with the Justice Department's review. As part of that process, my lawyers reviewed other places where documents in my, uh, of, from my time as vice president were stored, and they finished the review last night. They discovered a small number of documents of classified markings and storage areas and file cabinets in my home and my, in my, my, my personal library. Attorney General Merrick Garland last week, if you missed, he had a press conference and provided detailed timeline of the Justice Department's discovery of this and announced that he was appointing Robert Hur, a former U.S. attorney who was nominated by former President Trump as special counsel to lead this investigation. Now, you know, the conspiracy theories are going to come out of the, the, the rabbit holes of everywhere, and you're already getting people giving the false equivalency to a certain extent 
about the amount of documents found with respect to President Biden and the cooperation from the White House and to the DOJ, and then obviously former President Trump's case and obviously the FBI executing the search warrant at Mar-a-Lago. I want you to take a listen first to Corrine uh, Jean-Pierre as she was asked these questions by the White House press corps, asking about the cooperation between the president and the Department of Justice and the White House when the lawyers found all this. Take a listen to what she said as well. This is an ongoing process. You heard from the president. He spoke about this in detail yesterday uh, in front of uh, on a world stage. He laid out what uh, what he knew. Uh, he said that he seriously uh, he, he takes this seriously when it comes to classified uh, documents, when it comes to information that is classified. Uh, he was surprised to learn uh, about the records had had been there. Uh, and uh, again, he believes that uh, uh, that the um, uh, that the lawyers did the right thing. Now, look, I want to give a, a full timeline here of everything that's happened here. And also at a high level, before we get into each of our opinions and takes on this, um, this is terrible. This is literally terrible. Uh, uh, the president of the United States, who was the former vice president of the United States, classified documents being found at his home after he went on 60 Minutes and talked about the former president and the mishandling of classified documents. For this to happen is terrible. And I saw a TikTok video before I get into this timeline, before we play another clip of something about the false equivalencies that are being made of the parallels of the two former presidents and current presidents with their handling classified docs. I saw a TikTok video that I thought was going to make you laugh, Nick. I forgot to send it to you, but I'll tell you about it here. Um, and it was a TikTok video with somebody impersonating like a MAGA person wearing a hat. And they're like, hey, look at your friend Joe Biden here. Huh? Classified docs. And the other person is playing themselves. It's the same person. And they're like, yeah, classified docs. This is terrible. And they're like, yeah. So how do you explain it? And the person's like, I can't. Uh, he, he should be investigated. What? You're, you're saying he should be investigated? Yes. If he committed a crime, he should be investigated and prosecuted to the full extent of the law. And the person's face the, with the MAGA hat on was like confused. And, the, and then the person goes, the law is not partisan. Like nobody's above the law. And I just thought it was so funny. And I want to interject that here because uh, on this program, we try as best as possible to really play it down the middle and be right and wrong. Not everything is R&D. This isn't an R&D thing. These are classified documents. We're going to let the legal and investigative processes play out. I'm going to play a clip for you, however, of certain things right now that the White House has maybe not cooperated with that the Department of Justice was a little bit upset about, which led to the appointment of the special counsel and something that Ellie Honig, our buddy, a former DOJ prosecutor, said on that. We're going to get into that in a second. But first, the timeline of all this, because this has been one, one A, one B on, on the, all the front pages of news everywhere, digital sites, and across the media outlets that you watch on TV. On November 2nd, CBS News reported that roughly 10 documents were discovered at a Washington, D.C. office belonging to President Biden while he served as honorary professor at UPenn from 2017 to 2019. Remember, he's, he left in 2016, uh, 2017 from vice president. Six days before the crucial midterm elections, this came out, but the matter was under review not publicly disclosed. November 3rd, the next day, Biden's counsel says that the attorneys that discovered those documents handed them over to the National Archives. So literally under 24 hours, the archives took possession of the materials, referred the matter to the Justice Department as is you know standard. 
And they released a statement. Uh, the White House is cooperating with the National Archives and the Department of Justice regarding the discovery of what happened to be uh, Obama Biden administration records that were found, a small number of documents with classified markings. On November 4th, Justice Department prosecutor first learns of the documents from the National Archives. Uh, and, and Garland said this in the presser, if you may have missed it last week. And Garland also said that office was not authorized for storage of classified documents. That's the issue. Peter Ducey was alluding to it there about the car garage. I mean, <clears throat> there was no car in the garage, but you know what Peter Ducey was trying to do there. Anyway, <clears throat> November 9th. So this is all happening in November. Again, folks, what month is it? We're in January. We're in a new year. So all of this was happening you know, before the midterm elections, and we're not hearing about some of this stuff. But this is the timeline, things that were playing uh, out during those weeks as we're getting into a midterm election here. Uh, Garland said the FBI on November 9th commenced an assessment under what he called standard protocols to understand whether classified info had been mishandled in violation of federal law. November 14th, uh, Merrick Garland signs a Trump appointed U.S. attorney John Louch of Illinois to conduct an initial investigation to inform whether Garland sh should appoint a special counsel. So, so an investigation by somebody else to determine whether or not a special counsel should be conducted on December 20th. Now we fast forward a month as this guy Lausch proceeded with the investigation. I think I'm saying his last name correctly. Biden's personal counsel on December 20th informed that guy that additional documents with classification markings were found in the garage of Biden's Wilmington, Delaware residence. So keep track here. Washington, D.C. office that he was using as his time as a professor when he was a private citizen, now home in the garage. This is what Peter Ducey was referring to, not the previous one. He indicated that those documents were found, among other records related to Biden's tenure as vice president, FBI secured the classified documents. This is December 20th now. January 5th, Garland says Louch has ended his initial investigation, and now he has recommended that they appoint a special counsel. And then that's when Garland uh, spoke to reporters last week on the 12th, to talk about, hey, he has signed an order to appoint uh, Robert Hur, a special counsel that authorizes him to investigate when or any person or entity violated the law in connection with the matter of Biden's classified documents. All right, Nick, before I get to you and your takes, we've been talking about this, about the false equivalencies that are being made, right? Um, it's, it's tough. It's going to be real tough. We're going to try to make a few here, but overarching, you got a former president, uh, in Donald Trump, 160 plus classified documents that were found in a storage unit at his beach home here in, in Palm Beach County in Florida. Uh, FBI executed a search warrant because of the lack of cooperation from the Trump side uh, with the National Archives. And, and the Department of Justice signed off on that. FBI executed a search warrant, recovered a bunch of the documents. President Trump says they were declassified. Special counsel is now investigating all that. That's the Trump side. On the Biden side, I just mentioned to you, you've got the two different places where documents were found. Well, some of them were found before the midterm elections, turned over the next day to the National Archives. And then in December, more were found as the DOJ was opening an initial investigation to determine whether or not special counsel should be appointed. So it was like, we found 10. Here you go. Wait a minute. A month later, I found like 20 more. So we've got a little bit of a big deal here. We got, it, it's, it's forming into a big deal, still not a big deal as of yet, 
And I shouldn't really say a big deal. They're both big deals. A former president and and now the current sitting president, who was vice president, uh, both handling classified documents <clears throat> terribly. Excuse me. There's no excuse for either. But I do want to mention the false equivalencies that are being played out because you're seeing a lot of extreme right wing Republicans that are part of the Freedom Caucus. And a bunch of them are calling President Biden, you know, a traitor and treasonous and using a lot of the same language that they applied to President Trump that they feel the mainstream media applied. I want you to listen to Representative Adam Smith from uh, the great state of Washington and what he said on CNN recently about this false equivalency. But there is one very big distinction here. When President Biden's team found these documents in the two locations, they voluntarily, immediately turned them over to the appropriate authorities. President Trump took the position that he didn't have to. He took the position that he was basically above the law. He wanted to keep the documents, and so he would. And the Justice Department and others negotiated with him for well over a year to try and get him to do what President Biden did immediately turned the documents back over to the appropriate authorities, and he refused to do that. So they executed a search warrant. So that is the very large difference between these two situations. But both are serious and both need to be investigated. I echo what the congressman said there towards the end. Both are serious. Both need to be investigated. This is not that hard. Both are serious. Both need to be investigated. There are parts of each case that are extremely different. All right, Nick, now I turn to you. Let me get some of your takeaways on all of this that's been playing out. You know, we mentioned Jared coming up in the next segment in his fantastic book, and he's covered uh, he, he was telling us off air how he covered some of the Trump campaign before Trump became president and stuff like that. Um, and we, we would have asked him about this. But unfortunately, the news, we taped that interview about a week ago and the news had already uh, kind of broken maybe a day or two afterwards. You and I have been texting back and forth about this. First, it started out with the 10 documents. OK, now, you know, not that bad. They turned them over the next day. But now when you see the timeline, when you hear the timeline and you think back and you're like, this is all during the midterm elections. Right. What happened during a big election in 2016 where there was a big investigation into the political candidate that was running for president? It all sounded like eerily similar, like all this stuff is happening around the time where the American people are supposed to be voting right on folks that they are trusting right, to take their, what they want out of a candidate and the policies that they want put in place. And they're here, you know, they don't get access to this information prior to, maybe it would have made a difference in the, in the midterm elections, who knows, but I want to get your takeaways overall on the entire matter and some of the things that you heard there. And I'm going to get some more sound that I want to play from you from some of the legal experts that have talked about this, but first your initial takeaways on all of this. Yeah. It, I, I echo the same thing that the congressman said. Like they're both serious situations. It is it is helpful to understand the the two different responses. You know, in the end, you know, the FBI ends up going to Mar-a-Lago because the former president is not cooperating. Like you you arrive at a point where you know everyone's asking for the National Archives on down for documents that need to be returned, and the former president is saying everything from well, you know, they weren't classified, and you know, I. I determine what's classified. I can take them wherever I want. And on the other side, you know, Biden admits that, you know, there were some documents found, there were additional documents found, and they immediately turn them over. You know, and it's so interesting because you and I were texting about this when this was happening. And I texted you just before the announcement of the special counsel. And I said, 
you know what? DOJ needs to do this the same way they handled Trump. Just get a special counsel involved and let someone just audit this whole situation. And, you know, lo and behold, here I am, you know, Nostradamus over here, you're hitting it. Notice a difference in timing, though. It took the Department of Justice, you know, Merrick Garland, a lot longer to get involved in the situation with Trump than it did with Biden. Now, why that is, I've seen people critical of Merrick Garland on Twitter about this, and, and I really don't know why the timing is expedited. My guess is partly because there's more cooperation for the Biden administration. There is a willingness and an interest to move quickly through this through this discovery so that all these documents are accounted for. And there's a determination about what what actually um, was kept you know, from you know, from the former vice president you know, to the National Archives. In either case, it's just it's a bad handling. But I think the reactions from the two folks, it reminds me a little bit of that scene from um, how I think from the usual suspects. There's that whole conversation of like if a person's guilty and they're all locked up, the person who's guilty would just sort of fall asleep and not do anything because they know they've been caught. But the person who's innocent will just sort of stay up all night and panic and everything. And I draw the parallel here because I just I just think it's a matter of reactions. You know, the president was very defensive. Former president Trump was very defensive, called it the witch hunt. And as he's prone to do, you know, it's always constantly the system's out to get him. That's a that's a narrative he had said from the moment he ran for office. Um, whereas we had not heard that from President Biden. Very forthright of, yep, here are the documents. Here are some others. So even when Pete Ducey's asking about the ones that were found behind the Corvette in the garage, you know, the current president was very forthright about its availability. Um, so I think the reaction to this situation is very telling between both sides. of. But I agree in either case, you know, stop keeping documents you know, away from where it's supposed to be. You know, one thing that can't, you had shared was that, you know, you have to designate certain places. So that sounds on the side of Biden and maybe it was Trump possibly as a clerical error that you're not you know, sharing with DOJ where these documents are kept. Because it sounds like you need clarity. You need to be able to say like you're keeping them in certain places or um, you have to get permission to do so. So let's assume that the former President Trump did the same thing. But it's just the difference of one being willing to turn in documents quickly and the other one coming up with every reason under the sun not to. And that's that seems to be the key distinction. Yeah. You know, I want to add one thing, though, like we've been talking about this a lot about Democrats messaging and stuff like that. And so. I always feel like it's one step forward, two steps back, like for you to go on television. And again, he's the president of the United States. He's going to be asked about the former president because and and whatever reasons people have specifically journalists to ask about the former president, some of them are legitimate. Some of them are not. But the legitimacy lies in, hey, you're you're the previous guy that was sitting here in this office. Uh, he mishandled classified documents. What do you make of this? And for President Biden to be so adamant about, you know, you shouldn't be mishandling like this. It's a gross, you know, mishandle, whatever, whatever it is that he said in that 60 minutes interview. Um, why are we when you find this stuff now, this is like what I have. I'm, I'm losing words here because um, it's one of those things. It's like those in glass houses. Now, again, the 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 case itself and i use case broadly as a word here just to define overall the case itself against biden and against trump are two different things but and and, and i've seen a couple of representatives specifically democrats daniel goldman who was the former house uh, campaign manager and then he ran for congress and he won recently and he was on 
I forget what network. And he was talking about, I think the American people can tell the difference between, no, they can't, Representative Goldman. I'm sorry. No, they cannot. We legitimately have an audience in this country that believes the election was stolen. There, there's a siphon of them that believe that Trump will be reinstated, if you recall of that. So no, I don't think the American people can distinguish between the two of them. Are the American people going to do what you and I just did right now, which is review a timeline, play clips from experts in the field and react on that, right? Or are they going to be a little bit more measured in a response? They're not. The American people are not. So on the surface, if you are on Team Democrat, you should be on Team USA. We can argue about that later. But if you're on Team Democrat, it's like, don't do anything here. Don't fumble this. You got a lead right now. Don't fumble. And now here's a fumble, right? And it's, it's again, the magnitude of what the fumble will be will be determined as the investigations proceed. And just like I've said before, not only on this show, on other shows, networks, um, let the legal and investigative processes play out. But the American people, they don't know the difference between that. They truly do not. They see president, former president. They see classified documents, classified documents. They see FBI raid. I'm using air quotes for those of you watching on YouTube. And then they see t- turned over the next day or, or you, know, t- you know, this happened in November. We found out in January. Th- that's all they see. They, they, and, and again, they're in their silos. So the networks that they're tuning into are going to talk about this. And I'm seeing a lot more coverage from other networks. I mean, they should be devoting coverage to this, but the way they're positioning the coverage around it is as almost as if it is nefarious. Let the, let the facts of this case come out to warrant it being nefarious. And I want to play, this is not an example of it being nefarious, but this is an example of a great legal mind. He's been on the program. He's a friend of the show, Ellie Honig. I saw him um, a couple of days ago with Anderson Cooper talking about this case overall and the timeline and why the special counsel was appointed. But he said something that kind of stood out to me. I want you to take a listen. We'll react on the other side. Joe Biden's lawyers went through and found classified documents in his office. In December, they went and found classified documents in his home. And in January, three days ago, they came out and said, we found classified documents in the office, but they made no mention of the home. And that is utterly inexplicable. Now, of course, that's a PR problem. But more than that, when you're a prosecutor and you're looking at a subject of an investigation like this, you start by giving them the benefit of the doubt. But when they start giving away their credibility, it is very difficult for them to win it back. And that's why Evan Perez's reporting makes a lot of sense to me that those inconsistent statements had a lot to do with the appointment of special counsel. Evan, in the clip that he's mentioning there, um, is a Justice Department correspondent for CNN. And his reporting was saying that the White House was not fully cooperating, or there was at least some folks that were a little bit nervous and trepid about a special counsel getting nominated. And now here we are to the point where special counsel has been nominated. So, but Ellie makes a good point there, right? Like as, and again, neither of you and I are in the legal field, but he talks about his time as a prosecutor. When you're a prosecutor, you tend to give the benefit of the doubt if they're cooperating. But if they're screwing up their timelines and if they're screwing up where this was kept, where that was kept, uh, did I get this? Did I get that? I mentioned in the timeline that as that that investigation to determine whether or not special counsel should be appointed was going on, uh, that's when the Biden uh, team found more box, you know, more documents, not more boxes, more documents in a different location, not in D.C., in Pennsylvania, 
at the excuse me in Delaware at the at the current um, president's home. So to Ellie's overall point, you're getting the benefit of that. You're getting the benefit of that. Now all of a sudden, four weeks into this investigation, oh by the way, I got more. I mean that that doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. I'm curious uh, your your takeaways though on, on the clip there I just played about with Ellie. And again, Ellie's Ellie will be on the program uh, in the coming weeks because he's got a new book out called How Powerful People Get Away With It. Uh, we're going to get into that. We'll see if any of that plays into some of this. But um, I'm curious your takeaways on that before we go to the break on, on Ellie's comments and the benefit of the doubt uh, between these two cases. Yeah, I think both you and Ellie are hitting on the fact that this is about trust is capital. You know, you've built that with voters. You've built that with you know the citizens. And then you you go ahead and erode it. And I think this also ties back to what Biden had said about, you know, Trump, Trump's handling of documents. And what I would argue is probably the, the hyperbolic tenor of of many Democrats and reporters about what former President Trump had done. And and I agree with you. You know, it's one of the, it, it's a matter of, you know, with the previous person, we went pretty extreme with what we alluded to with what former president donald trump had done and now we see this with biden and let's hope you're keeping that same energy right like that's the phrase of the kids all like to say and that's what this really is um it is a misstep to to admit the placement documents but then say oh yeah by the way i there's more in a normal world that's totally acceptable but you but the democrats don't make it very easy for themselves especially when you try to use this as again fodder for how bad and evil the previous guy was. And I'm not a fan of the former president either, but it certainly looks silly when you are making all kinds of accusations. And I say accusations because I'm still waiting to see, you know, what the special counsel finds, you know, that's that's investigating the former president. You know, like any informed person who understands how this process works, that should be the key. Follow along with that. But to, you know, make this a doom and gloom situation about the president, former president, and then Biden does, in many ways, something very similar. It's hard to ignore. It's it, it's hard to ignore the difference in reaction. And Ellie, I think, is pointing out the fact that, like, yeah, you've got the lead, right? You can't you can't fumble the ball like this. Um, I will offer the one of the big distinctions in 2016. You know, when we're talking about Hillary, you know, Hillary Clinton's emails and what James Comey had released, that's a presidential election. Does it make a difference in 2022? If this comes up about the for, about current President Biden, I don't know, because the big difference in 2016 was the swing votes were people that we now think of as MAGA Republicans. In 2022, one of the biggest appearances was from younger voters, 18 to 29, that we haven't seen a surge like this in a while. And do they care about what, you know, former, or what the current president's doing with his documents? I don't know, which is very akin to 2016. So I don't know if if it makes as much of a difference, but yeah, I fumbling is, and we're again in the course of the NFL playoffs right now and just wrapping up the college football playoffs is probably the best analogy for what the Democrats have just done. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you more on all of this as it continues to come out as the special counsel continues the investigations, like you said, into both of them, into, into current president Biden and into former president Trump. We will have expert analysis from folks that were former government officials that had a, a, a certain classification assigned to them that will be on the program. And then Ellie will be on as well to break down legal news uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, coming up after the break, I mentioned him at the top of the show, Jared Yates Sexton. He's our buddy, a new friend 
to the podcast. He's got an amazing book out called The Midnight Kingdom, A History of Power, Paranoia, and the Coming Crisis. It's available now wherever books are sold. He's also the host of the Muckrake podcast. You can check out that podcast wherever you get your podcast. I'll say podcast three more times for all of you out there. Jared, when we come back after the break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. Nick, today's episode is presented as always by our friends over at Fresh Roasted Coffee. Since 2009, their passion has always been bringing you gourmet coffees from all over the world, roasted fresh to order. I got my coffee snob here, Nick Saveri. Nick, tell these people, coffee snob it up here. Tell these people why Fresh Roasted Coffee is so good and why they're the official sponsor of Can We Please Talk? You know, often the best cup of coffee that you're ever going to have is the one you can you can make from home. And you need good quality coffee to do that. And that's what Fresh Roasted Coffee offers. You know, between single origin, between blends, flavors, anything on the coffee spectrum they've got. But more importantly, and I can't stress this enough, often when you purchase coffee, you don't know where to start. I mean, there's so many different varieties, so many different opportunities, so many different things you could choose from. And Fresh Roasted Coffee just gives you a very simple questionnaire and just says, hey, figure out what your cup, what your coffee cup is. Figure out what blend works for you. I've gotten some single origin recommendations, so is Mike, and that's influenced everything. And what they recommend, you can get in a Keurig cup, the way Mike takes it. You can take it in the way I do it, which is typically through a French press, or you can get it for a percolator. Whatever coffee machine you've got, they've got you covered. But more importantly, just a huge variety and a way to learn more about coffee itself. No, that's very well said. And all of this is available at FreshRoastedCoffee.com on their site. One cup is all it takes to fall in love with Fresh Roasted Coffee. But you get a discount for being a listener of Can We Please Talk. All you got to do is enter in the promo code CANWEGET20 at checkout to get 20% off your first purchase. Head to FreshRoastedCoffee.com today. All right, Jared Yates Sexton joins us here on the Can We Please Talk podcast. He's a fantastic writer. His new book is out now. You can go get it wherever books are sold. It's called The Midnight Kingdom. 
A History of Power, Paranoia, and the Coming Crisis. It's over his right shoulder for those of you watching on YouTube. He's also the host of the Muckrake Podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Jared, Mike Leon, Nick Saveri, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with us. Hey, thank you. I'm a big fan. This is a real treat for me. So thank you. Well, I appreciate that. That soundbite will now uh, be clipped and lived in the annals of people uh, pumping us up even further. Uh, Jared, we're going to get into a bunch of stuff here because you, we were talking off air about a bunch of different things and themes from the book that are playing out in my life, Nick's life, and maybe even people that are listening to this show. But first for our audience, uh, I mentioned the book at the top here. It's out now wherever books are sold. Tell us a little bit about an, an overview of the book and what made you want to write it. Yeah, so The Midnight Kingdom uh, was sort of an effort uh, by me to sort of understand how we arrived at this moment, this modern moment of crisis. And I've come to believe over the past six years, as I've been doing uh, journalism, as I've been doing historical research, as I've been doing political, social, psychological research, I've come to believe that we are at a crossroads that uh, the the system that we've been living under is starting to crumble. It's starting to fail. I think we all feel that to a certain extent, right? That it doesn't, it's, it's not only not fair, but it's also just not functional. Like something is shifting, something is changing. We're looking at the possibility of a different future, but we're not particularly working towards creating it. Like, you know, trying to make that better future. And unfortunately, the far right, a really dangerous international authoritarian movement, is taking advantage of what's happening right now in the world. And I needed to understand how the flow of history and how this ideology, how it's worked. And so what I did was I went back to uh, the, the beginning of modern history where Christianity uh, merged with Roman power, right? And what I did was I traced how power... Uh, like protected itself, how it moved throughout history, the the stories it told, how these sort of crossroads always played out. And I did it to understand more about this moment, but also what is possible. And what I came to was that we're at a moment of great danger, but also really great opportunity. There is a, a window open right now for us to make a better future. And, and this book was uh, trying to wrestle with that history, but also wrestle with what is possible. Jared, as you bring up that I nerd out about that a lot, about you know where we in Christianity we go from a a pivotal figure in Jesus to now being paired with you know Roman authority, everything from the depiction of Jesus being lighter skinned than he likely was, but you know, and it is what it is. That being said, though, at that point of origin, is that really the beginning point where we see power and religion being fused together as an attempt for for essentially authority to maintain power through the guise of, well, this is what our religion, this is what our perception of God tells us is right and just. So if you look at the Roman Empire, the the way that it sort of held hegemonic rule over the world, right? Like, and, and Rome told a story about itself. There's a reason why it was, you know, the, the, the dominator of the time. It told a story that Roman civilization, so-called Western civilization, was the pinnacle of civilization, right? And that meant that anybody within it, particularly the wealthy and the powerful within Rome, deserved everything. They deserved all the luxuries. They deserved all the wealth, everything they could have. Anybody outside was a barbarian, right? They, they, they needed to be conquered. They needed to be destroyed. They could be subject to any amount of violence or oppression. One of the things that I found, because I, I didn't really know how that happened. I didn't understand how Christianity and, and Rome merged. And what I discovered very quickly, and this sort of set the book off in, in the direction that we're talking about, 
I realized that Christianity became the gravity of the new Roman Empire because the old ideas were falling apart. Right. It was this Roman imperial cult, the idea that their their emperors were like chosen by uh, a god or the universe or they were gods themselves. Right. And eventually over the years, as they were awful, you know, they were like oppressing people and hurting people. Eventually, that myth started to fall by the wayside. And as Rome started to decline, they needed to find something to replace it. Right. And so what I discovered very quickly was that whenever the world has like a status quo, whenever there's like a, a an, an organizing story. So say, for instance, right now, we've been living in the American century, right? We've been living in the American dominated world in which America is the sole superpower. Well, I think we all know that things are changing, right? That, that America is in decline to a certain extent. On top of that, the, the quality of life in America doesn't feel the same. We're working for less money. We're being exploited. You're even watching like our lifespan start to like lower, right? This doesn't seem like what the great power should be. And we are living in the decline of the American superpower. That opens the question. What's the next story that we tell ourselves, right? Like what's the next organizing mythology? And the problem is that right now, you're watching power much like it did with the Roman Empire. They're using religion. They're using these mythologies. They're using these narratives to create the new structure. And, and the problem when you go that route is that you always end up oppressing people. You always end up saying this group over here is better. This group over here is not. That group deserves to be conquered. That group deserves to be, you know, even wiped out in genocidal violence. And so the, what I discovered very quickly was as these status quo start to change and they're interrupted, there's a real possibility that a story that you never could have imagined, such as, you know, Christianity, which was oppressed and, 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 uh, uh, you know, uh, underwent incredible violence, all of a sudden it becomes the ruling mythology or the ruling narrative that then protects power and, and moves it into the next cycle. Jared, you know, one of the things I appreciated about the book, and I was telling you this off air about, you know, obviously you go back into the history books, like you just mentioned, you go into different time periods, things that have happened here in this country, 9-11. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, though, because we were talking about this off air and I wanted to draw the parallels back to the focus group stuff that I was telling you about that we had done earlier uh, back in October before the voting cycle and uh, a young conservative guy who uh, we featured on the podcast in one of the focus groups telling us about, you know, his shifting ideology as he started to get older. He started to realize, grew up in a Christian household, and some of the things he's being told, you know, as he starts to get into college and start to make more friends of different ethnic backgrounds, he starts to start to lean a little bit more moderate. And, and he says he pinpointed it to kind of uh, not, not so much the Black Lives Matter movement, but hip hop and the plight of African-Americans as told through music, but then also the social, you know, sharing of like things that have happened to them with respect to police brutality, other things. Um, what advice would you give to somebody that's listening to this pod? Because you make you make some parallels into your own life with your grandmother in the book. But what what advice would you say to someone listening to the pod that maybe has been through a similar plight like yourself or that that young conservative that we mentioned in the focus group? Yeah, to go ahead and give a little bit of biographical info on me, I, I grew up in southern rural Indiana. I'm talking like in the middle of nowhere. I come from an extremely poor family. We're talking about factory workers, laborers, miners, prison guards, you know, like like servant class type people. 
And I got to tell you, I was raised up in some really extreme evangelicalism. Like what we're seeing now with QAnon, what we're seeing now with what people would call Christian nationalism, right? And, and by the way, for anybody who doesn't know this or doesn't follow this, Christian nationalism is an extremely radicalized version of Christianity. The idea that um, Republicans, supporters of Donald Trump, these types of people are fighting a literal supernatural war against supernatural evil, right? I was raised in that in the 1980s. I basically every Sunday was told that the literal devil was trying to attack America. And, you know, the devil used everything against you, everything from the movies that you were watching, the music you would listen to, your friends at school who would, you know, peer pressure you into sinning or doing whatever. Those people were being manipulated by the literal Satan, right? The conservative mindset, and I want to point out a couple things, Christianity doesn't have to be like that, right? This isn't a criticism of Christianity. We're talking about weaponized faith here, right? Which includes apocalyptic elements. If 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 too much changes, Satan will win and the world will end, right? That is a literal belief within these groups. Um, there's also the idea that persecution is necessary. There's a positive persecution, which is uh, a larger topic. But one of the things that happens within the conservative mindset is the idea that you as an individual are responsible only for yourself. And the reason for that is because everyone around you at any given moment could screw you over. They want to take what you have. They want to step in front of you. It is it honestly the 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 modern conservative mind is paranoid in nature, right? The idea that there are so many conspiracies and we've noticed this, right? Like I always point out Donald Trump Jr., every time he's on something, he talks about how he doesn't get enough like uh, impressions on his Instagram. You know, he doesn't get enough views on his Instagram. There has to be a shadow ban. We're even seeing that now as like in on Twitter, you actually have like a right wing ideologue who is controlling Twitter. They're still talking about shadow bans, right? So the conservative mindset is the idea that everyone's out to get you and you can't trust one another. And a lot of that is powered by the idea of original sin, that we're all born wicked and, and wretched and, you know, unless we're saved or whatever, we, we, we can't be trusted. What I want to point out is this. What I realized over time, and it took a while to heal from that trauma, what I had to realize was that our modern system, and, and we call it neoliberalism, globalism, whatever we want to get into here, it tells you that you are alone, that you should not trust other people. Like, you know, I've listened to you all and I've formed parasocial relationships with you. So I feel, you know, I can trust you. But at the same time, like, I don't really know you at any given moment. Like something might happen, you know, there might be someone jumping out of the shadows or, you know, you might be stealing my bank account number. I don't know. But right, right. like it keeps us from talking to other people. We've become an atomized society where we don't necessarily trust our families. We don't trust our loved ones. We don't trust our coworkers. And part of that has created a paranoid mindset where you see conspiracies everywhere because why wouldn't you, right? If you truly think that everybody's out to get you, why wouldn't you believe in conspiracies? That mindset is what has to be pushed against. And what I've noticed, and this is important, is that for all of my family members, all of my friends who have become radicalized, who have fallen down QAnon rabbit holes, uh, the big lie, all of these things, it never happens because they're feeling good, right? They're all having personal crises. They're feeling alone. Something is falling apart, whether it's economically, uh, you know, their jobs, their, their marriages, whatever. What I have noticed is that when you notice someone being radicalized, particularly through these conspiracy theories, if you reach out to them and talk to them as human beings, they're going to tell you what's going on with them, 
right? And that starts to push back against that paranoid mindset, that conspiracy mindset. It it has to be a larger societal sea change. It's, you know, and, and you and I can ha- do this. We can talk with people. We can work on this individually. That's something we can do in our lives. We can heal ourselves and help heal other people. But there has to be a push against that mindset that we're all alone and that we're all fighting one another basically for scraps of the pie at this point. Jared, in the story you share about your grandmother and even early, um, you know, what we saw, I'm forgetting the name of the pastor in the 40s during the during uh, the Depression, um, you know, but the idea, thank you. You know, we went from people who who seem really down for the cause. Like, I don't doubt how, whether Father Coughlin believed what he believed. It seems like we've now changed pace to a world where Donald Trump, um, Mike Lindell, the you know, pillow dude. It seems like some of this may potentially be disingenuous. You know, on this show, we talk often that, you know, and Mike gives this example all the time, and I, I credit him constantly about this idea of being pot committed. Folks who say one thing on television or some other form of media, but behind the scenes, you know, they are vaccinated. Um, you know, they they don't believe these things that they say. And there's an element of professional wrestling that's taken place. Have we moved to a place where there's still that fervor for conservatism, but now it's being manipulated by people who see it potentially as a grift? Oh, absolutely. I'm so glad you brought up professional wrestling, too, because this whole thing is is a giant work that turns into a shoot. And anybody who knows anything about this subject, like they, they understand. My heart's melting right, right? now. That's like fans. This is awesome. But it it really is because what happened and 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 listen we Donald Trump is not the disease he's a symptom of a larger problem. This was going to happen in one way shape or form. He just happened to be the perfect sort of messenger of the moment, the person who could like take advantage of this. Um Donald Trump came around and he said, "You know what? Both of the parties are corrupt. They haven't been taking care of you. Deindustrialization, global capitalism has screwed you over." And guess what? He was right. That is true. That has happened. This modern era has screwed over, uh, you know, basically everybody except for like a tiny, tiny 1% um, that has had trillions, and I say that with a T, trillions of dollars redistributed from us to them, right? I mean, it's that's the difference between having, um, again, a wealthy Donald Trump in the 1980s who has his own private jet and Elon Musk who has his own personal space program, right? That is a system that doesn't work. And and, uh, and and he says both of the parties are corrupt. He's right. They are. They have been bought off by a lot of the same people, particularly, you know, different pockets of them. The problem was he didn't mean it. He didn't care. He was like one of the people who took advantage of all of it. When he got into office, instead of, you know, pursuing any of this, he actually just took orders from people like the Heritage Foundation, who handed him basically a list of here are the ways to, like, make ourselves wealthier and more powerful. What he has created and what's being taken advantage of is what I refer to as faux populism. It is telling people what they want to hear, right, because there's an audience for it, and then bilking them for more money and continually turning the dial. And what you were talking about in terms of what you say in front of a camera and what you say behind it, Washington, D.C., particularly has created in an entire culture of professional wrestling in which these people are making unbelievable amounts of money by ratcheting the tension up. And by the way, it's not just politicians. It's also the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. Like these people are profiting off of 
chaos and instability that is radicalizing people. So what has actually happened is there is a need to talk about these things. There is a need for populism. It just so happens that the need was so obvious that the world's like absolute worst grifter took advantage of it. And now the right wing in, in in an incredible way, gets all of its funding from like a few shadow donor billionaires who want to destroy the federal government and basically get rid of any representative government. And meanwhile, they are going after people on the ground that they are screwing over. And it is this cycle that needs to be broken. But the problem is that nobody particularly wants to talk about the system being broken because the people, the media, the political class, you name it, they're the ones profiting off of it. They're the ones who gain the power and the wealth and the affluence. So as a result, they can't deal with it or they know what they're doing. So it turns into a cycle that just gets worse and worse and worse. I've always told people, uh, you know that I haven't made it big yet financially because my opinions are calm, right? They're cool, collected. It's like you almost, somebody told us once upon a time, there's no money in the middle. It was a famous producer of, of a movie called Better Left Unsaid, this political doc that examines the extremes, the polar left, you know, the and the, the far left and the far right in different countries. And he said that to me and I was like, yeah, you're right. We haven't made any money yet. So I know we're right down the middle. But I want to bring this uh, to you because, you know, I was listening to your podcast and you guys in the last episode, uh, the Muckrake podcast available wherever you get your pods. You guys were talking about, you know, what's been playing out in Brazil, right? I have family that lives in Brazil, in Victoria, and, you know, everything with Bolsonaro is very eerily similar to the Trump stuff. But you had a quote in your book that I want to read here and ask a question on, because there was a former Obama administration official. He was talking about international terrorism and, you know, the Bush administration and the war on terror and then how it goes over into the Obama administration. And he makes this analogy about uh, fighting international terrorism is like mowing the lawn. If you remember in the book, I'm sure you do, Jared. Um, and, and he talks about like, you need to cut the grass all the time, right? In relation to, if you're going to fight these terrorists, you, you know, you got to kill one, even though two or three may sprout up afterwards, you still have to do it, right? You know, because you got to cut the grass or else the grass is going to get out of control. But he was talking about international terrorism. And what we're seeing now play out domestically Yep. is homegrown terrorism. We've had DHS officials, CIA, FBI officials on this program, ton of them, espionage, related agents, all of them have said the number one rise, the number one issue that we should be focused on is domestic terrorism. This stuff is no longer the international folks trying to kill us. Here, we got people here trying to kill us. So what do we do about this growing problem with extremism and the folks that are going down this rabbit hole of misinformation, disinformation, because you talked about it a little bit of this empathy and talking to each other. And you stole my whole thunder about pushing these people to the extremes and not caring about them anymore because they don't live in the right, wrong universe. But now I'm curious, because of all of this rise of domestic terrorism, what we're seeing copycatted in Brazil, it's happening around the world. Italy has a far right prime minister. Like, what do we do about it here in the U.S.? Well, there's a lot to unpack there because I think this is one of the biggest questions of our time because we're literally watching and history shows us what happens when we have situations like this. This is a powder keg. Something like January 6th or now January 8th in Brazil shows us how easily these upset faux populist movements. And by the way, that's what it is in Brazil as well. 
it shows how easily they can be radicalized to the point of violence. I tell everybody, January 6th was not just a big group of people that went in and did this. It was three separate groups. You had uh, Proud Boys and Oath Keepers who were like paramilitaries who wanted a civil war and wanted an authoritarian regime. You had uh, QAnon people who were more than ready to carry out massive cleansing violence. And then you had a bunch of MAGA supporters that some of them showed up in their own private planes, you know, and other others were there to burn things down. So what you, re what you realize is when you look at something like January 6th, you look at the number of people who were won over to help with the insurrection, right? Who were there to help with the coup attempt. You always have to think about how do you curb sort of the, the fever a little bit. And I'm always very, very careful when we're talking about law enforcement, right? Because one of the things that happened after September 11th, which I got to tell you, I think is going to go down in history as one of the uh, worst mistakes that a superpower has ever made. Like the way that we handled that, like we, we literally allowed Al-Qaeda, which wasn't a real international terrorist sect. It was a group of people who carried out this massive act. We allowed them to completely divert all of our resources and also engulf ourselves in a paranoia. Well, meanwhile, a terrible tragedy of September 11th, you look at how many people have been killed by right-wing extremists in that time and how many people have been killed by white supremacist paramilitary groups. It's incredible, right? The eye got taken off of the ball. I don't think that the answer is like heightened security. I think we have all of the laws that we need. I think we have all of the technology. We have all the resources that we need for law enforcement and all of these groups. I think it's going to take a sea change in how we look at the problem. And, and you talk about people who are in homeland security, which I, I personally think homeland security shouldn't exist anymore. I think it's been an impediment in all of this. And you take a look at like the FBI. The FBI is lousy with people who are involved in this stuff, right? For almost for everybody who surveils it, there's a member in there. You take a look at law enforcement. They're involved in a lot of these groups. The military is as well. Part of the reason is we're not addressing the problems that radicalize people, the material conditions. We keep calling it things like Joe Biden. You know, say what you want about Joe Biden. Joe Biden said that they were uh, semi-fascist. I think that was the exact quote that he said. It's 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 sort of dipping your toe into what this is, right? You're not calling the problem out for what it is. You're not talking about how it's un-American to go after voting, um, to go after uh, election results. The, the tepidness in calling this what it is and actually using the resources that are there and talking about the – I'm sorry. We have to talk about white supremacy in this country. We have to talk about the fact that it's been here since the very beginning of this country. It has influenced all of our laws, all of our economics, all of it. We have to have a sea change that says, guess what? We have to redistribute some of that trillions of dollars that have been put towards the top. And I want to point out very quickly. I think that we misunderstand something in American history, someone like a Franklin D. Roosevelt, the New Deal, right? Because people still sort of think about the New Deal as if it's the consensus that we live within. Franklin D. Roosevelt, they, they, they tried to overthrow his government. They tried like in the business plot. They literally tried a coup against FDR. They went out and they were supporting Charles Lindbergh, who was saying that we should team up with Adolf Hitler. You know, they were giving money to fascists like this wealth class that is now sort of buying off our democracy. People need to understand that those things were miracle moments of leadership where somebody called the problem out for what it was and also worked over here to sort of, I don't know, pull the temperature down, right? There's a fever 
right now in the American populace. And the only thing that's going to help with that fever is to do things like invest in things like the Civilian Conservation Corps, to pay for programs, to make sure that a bunch of, you know, young men aren't sitting around online watching videos about, you know, ISIS-like attacks on the government. So there are ways to do it. The problem is that there isn't a lot of heart in our current leadership to do it, right? They're not really interested in talking about those things. They're not interested in having a larger societal shift. And I, I personally think it has to happen. Jared, you know, we're in the business on this show when we have authors on about making sure they have a space to really tell people why to buy their book, because we only bring people on that we're excited about the books that they have, <laughs> such as yours. So I will not ask you the question of what's the most surprising thing. I know people got to go get it. I have a copy of it. Mike's got a copy of it. Obviously, you have your own copies. But what is, say, the second most surprising thing of your book that people would gain uh, upon reading it? You know, I, I would go ahead and put this out there. You know, we we talk a lot about this current political moment. And you hear a lot of things, right? A lot of words. Unprecedented. And it's not. That 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 is the thing that really surprised me the most in researching this. I traced QAnon conspiracy theories back to ancient Rome. I literally traced them back to the original Christians. QAnon explicit. The idea that Christians were like sacrificing babies to bathe in their blood and gain superpowers. That took place in ancient Rome. If you actually go back to the origins of conservatism, it was based in anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. The idea that Freemasons and Illuminatis and Jews were trying to overthrow France and America and all of this, right? My point is this. The book is trying to argue, and, and what I'm trying to tell people is that we can learn from how these things have worked, right? And, and part of the problem that we have right now, and, and, and to put a cap on this or a through line on this, I hate to say it as a, as a former educator, our educational system is, isn't working. We're not teaching people actual history. We're not teaching people civics. We're teaching them weaponized ideology, which, by the way, is happening more and more. Um, I, I want to say you said you were in Florida right? Florida right now is attacking its educational system and turning it into an indoctrination system, the likes of which that I, I through history, I haven't seen since like the, the rise of Clemens von Metternich. I mean, it is really wild what's happening in Florida. But the American educational system has not prepared us to First of all, see when authoritarianism is rising, right? When radicalism is happening. And also what is actually happening in history? We have this sort of sterilized idea of how we've arrived at this point. And it's it's a weaponized understanding of history. So for me, I think the first step in fighting back and the first step in making a better future is understanding how we got here, right? It's understanding like what the, the cycles of history have been like and actually learning from the mistakes and the, the moments of the past. I think we can learn from the people who made the world better. And I think we can especially learn from the people who made the world worse. And this was my attempt to tell a different story of history so that we could start to arm ourselves and we could say, hey, that's what that is. Come on, let's stop, you know, sugarcoating it. Let's stop pretending it's something else. Like this is authoritarianism and here's how we're going to deal with it. Jared, I got like 71 more questions. Nick wants to nerd out for three more hours as somebody who works in the education system right now with, with uh, school districts and leaders everywhere. Can't do all of that, folks. Time constraints here in the podcast. Digestible format. We're trying to give you 45 minutes so Nick can rant for another 15 minutes to make it an hour episode. Uh, Jared Yates <laughs> Sexton is a fantastic author. You can check out the Muckrake podcast available wherever you get your podcast, The Midnight Kingdom, the book over his shoulder, A History of Power, Paranoia, 
and the coming crisis. It's out now wherever books are sold. Go get it. I know, Jared, you're big on promoting local bookstores. So go to your local bookstore and get it. Jared, can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. Continue success to you, sir. Please stay safe. You're welcome back anytime. You write another book uh, about maybe a, another subject matter. I love talking to you, man. Continue success to you, sir. Well, wonderful. We're going to have you on the podcast here sometime soon. We'll have to do like a four-man pod. Love it. Your website should be a marketing asset, not an engineering challenge. Empowering everyone from independent designers to whole marketing teams, Webflow combines the power of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript and places them all in a completely visual canvas. Trusted by companies like Lattice and Discord, it changes the way marketers, designers, and engineers create for the web. Now you can build the site you want without the dev time. Start building for free at webflow.com. All right, our thank yous there to Jared Yates Sexton. Like I mentioned, the book is out now, wherever books are sold, The Midnight Kingdom, A History of Power, Paranoia, and the Coming Crisis. That's right. I'm reading my cheat sheet over here, folks, for those of you that are watching on YouTube. Um, Jared's book, though, is over my shoulder, over Nick's shoulder, for those of you watching on YouTube. A really good read. Uh, no joke. Go out there, get the book, wherever books are sold. We've been promoting so many different authors that have been on the, on the program. But it's, it's the subject matter in this book. Jared really takes you through, and he said it in his own words, the history of like how we got here. But a lot of the times we're not offering solutions as to how to get out of this. You know, like, like how do we get out of uh, your aunt getting down a misinformation, disinformation rabbit hole? Now she thinks the election is stolen. Like, how do you get out of that? And one of the things that I took away from the interview that I thought was really interesting was the psychological part of this. You talk to somebody and then you get at the root of the problems and how they're using that outlet to channel some of this negativity, whatever's brewing inside of them, whatever they're going through, personal work, whatever it is. Once you start talking to them and breaking down those layers, you get at the root of why they're going down these rabbit holes. The problem I have, Nicholas, before I let you go, is you know how I feel about that. Because I'm very big on the sky is blue, the sun is yellow. If we're having a conversation, you and I both have to be on the up and up that those are facts, not my facts, not your facts. Those are actual facts. If you don't believe in that stuff, my defense mechanism is get out of my face, see you later, and you're completely cut off. And we've had other people have been on this program. They're like, you can't necessarily do that because that's at your own peril because now those folks find somebody else to gravitate to that think like that. I've been pushed out. I've been a, you know, cast aside. And now we're seeing what we're seeing on January 6th, what we've seen in Brazil, and then somebody come in and just lead that. You know, you are being lied to. You are being fed this. And I can change it and do this and that. What were some of your takeaways on the interview there with Jared? Yeah, the the biggest takeaway is that, and it's actually a, re, a very reassuring one, is that these are not unprecedented times. You know, Jared mentions that a couple of times. Um, and, you know, you can trace some of these conspiracy theories and um, you know, some of the, like the origins of the leanings for organizations like QAnon is rooted far back into our past. And that's important to know because if we know the origin of it, if we understand the nature of the beast and it keeps coming back, then we can be able to figure out what it is that we can do about it. You know, when we talk to folks who are just stunned by what we saw with Trump, uh, and with January 6th, and now most recently, January 8th in Brazil, and when that feeling of like, what do you do? And these are times I can't, you know, this has never happened before. 
to be able to point to a book like Jared's and say, you need to read this because you know, this is a trend and the origins of that trend are important to understand because that's the only way we're ever going to combat this. Um, I thought he did an incredible job of just sort of taking us briefly through that cycle, shedding some light on some other interesting details in the book. And like you, I would just highly recommend, especially for anyone like me, that you start to grow a library of books that you were never exposed to you know, in history class, um, books that tell you how we got here. Jared's book really checks the box for both both of those for me. Yeah, no, very well said. And he and by the way, um, like we were mentioning before, we're going to go be going on his podcast. Hopefully soon. Check out the Muckrake podcast available wherever you get your podcast, because it is pretty good. Him and his co-host Nick go through a lot of similar issues that you and I are, are talking about on this show. And obviously, then we bring on journalists and stuff like that to provide added context, but they were just talking about, you know, what's been playing out in Brazil, which was a recent episode that I heard. So uh, shout out to them uh, for that podcast. Shout out to Jared for the book. Go check out his book, wherever books are sold. Like I mentioned, The Midnight Kingdom. It's out now. Uh, speaking of, well, I don't have a transition. I never do. But if you want to watch the video interview uh, of Jared being on the program, check out our YouTube channel. Type in Can We Please Talk Podcast. Hit the subscribe button and please follow us. Please follow us across IG, Twitter, TikTok. I Can We Please Talk Podcast on Twitter. I Can We Please Talk. Audio podcast platforms. You know them by now. Shout out to uh, the good folks at Good Pods and everybody that listens to us over there. But Apple, Spotify, Google, go check us out. Acast is our hosting platform. We can't do it without them. Can't do it without each and every one of you each week that listens to this program and listens to fantastic guests that know what they're talking about, like Jared. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Severi. We'll see everybody next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.